funding for NJ Spotlight News provided by the members of the New Jersey Education Association, making public schools great for every child, and RWJ Barnabas Health. Let's be healthy together. Tonight on NJ Spotlight News, the rain may be over, but major flooding continues in areas around the Passaic River. More and more homeowners demanding flood-prone buyouts. It flooded three weeks ago. It's flooding. We're, I'm standing in water as we speak. Um, it, it's, we've seen this movie too many times. Also, former Governor Chris Christie abruptly drops out of the presidential race and gets caught on a hot mic saying Nikki Haley is going to get smoked. I didn't really get the sense that you didn't have a lot of nice things to say about Nikki Haley uh, just in the hours leading up to him, him dropping out. Uh, but yes, I mean, if he was dropping out with a stated goal of not being a spoiler for Trump, to get caught on a hot mic saying that Nikki Haley doesn't have a chance and everyone knows it. Plus, a recent rise in violent crime in Atlantic City, despite crime dropping in many other major cities across the state. I said we're not going to stop crime 100%, but it's to be proactive and combating the nursing shortage. New proposals to rebuild a much needed workforce. NJ Spotlight News begins right now. From NJ PBS Studios, this is NJ Spotlight News with Brianna Venozzi. Good evening and thanks for joining us on this Thursday. I'm Brianna Venozzi. Well, the rain may have ended, but weary residents are at risk of even more flooding tonight. That's when major rivers like the Passaic are expected to crest above flood stage, posing a threat to the town of Little Falls and other low-lying areas near it. According to the latest models from the National Weather Service, another pain point along the Passaic is in the Pinebrook section of Montville in Morris County. Neighbors of the Raritan River in Somerset County are still cleaning up and drying out. The towns of Bound Brook and Manville coming to terms with their damage. The folks in Lodi too. Dozens were displaced in Del Ran and other towns along the Delaware River in Burlington County. And the threat for more flooding lingers into the weekend. That's when forecasters say yet another storm system could drop between one to two inches of more rain, all starting tomorrow night. The National Weather Service this afternoon issuing a flood watch for 11 counties. Governor Murphy today surveyed storm-ravaged areas and Melissa Rose Cooper was there. This part of town that is a relentless flutter. Um, it flooded three weeks ago. It's flooding. We're, I'm standing in water as we speak. Um, it, it's We've seen this movie too many times. Governor Murphy joining other elected and local officials today in Little Falls just days after heavy rains moved through the Garden State, leaving many communities to deal with rising floodwaters. We, I said this in Lodi last night. I've been back and forth with mayors this morning, just checking in on them. Franklin Township, Hillsborough, um, other communities. Um, we're seeing the same movie again and again and again. So in the short term, let me say unequivocally, we're here for you. The latest storm happening just weeks after rainfall caused the Passaic River to spill over, forcing families out of their homes. Now residents are bracing themselves yet again as the river is expected to crest overnight, creating dangerous conditions. This area could very well Light be tonight. under 18 to 24 inches of water. This area where we're standing was under that much water three weeks ago. Yeah. 
And uh, yeah, we, we, we are, again, we're prepared for the worst, but hoping for the best hoping right now. And right now it's based upon current predictions of the gauges, which may be off by a little bit. We are hoping they are overestimating and we, they will, the river will under deliver the amount of water that Please uh, is God. expected. All the first responders here have been on top of this situation from day one. We in the Sheriff's Department and also as County uh, OEM coordinator will be here to continue that support and we're hoping that we get through this. The hardest part is we're the last crest, so you gotta wait three days for it to flood. Bob Dombrowski has been living in Little Falls since the 1960s. He says many residents can't afford to pay thousands of dollars a year for flood insurance and feels the state isn't doing enough to support homeowners impacted by flooding. You know, and then he comes now, three weeks later, man. Did you go knock on these people's doors? Did you ask them? Did they have utilities? What, where did they go during the flood? There are leaders. We shouldn't have to rely on our great mayor, Damiano, who's part-time to guide it. We need leadership from the top. The governor also announcing the state hazard mitigation team will earmark $10 million in this fiscal year under the SWIFT current program to help homeowners affected by last month's flooding. But he admits more still needs to be done without buyouts being an immediate solution. So it's, these are not the only weapons at our disposal in the, in the medium and long term. We need big resiliency investments, whether that's dredging rivers or redirecting uh, currents, um, you know, bigger, sort of bigger picture things. But the, both of those weapons are available. So the Blue Acres program to buy folks out or to elevate your home. The problem that James points out uh, is with the buyout option, you lose rateables in town. And so it becomes sort of a, a downward spiral, which you don't want to get into, particularly in a community where overwhelmingly which overwhelmingly doesn't flood. So the answer is we're going to turn over every stone we can, whether it's state money, county, but perhaps guys. Uh, and the biggest bucket of money in, in all this is, is going to be the feds. More rain is expected Friday into Saturday, which is leading to additional concerns, but officials say they're doing everything they can to make sure residents have access to the necessary resources to keep them safe. For NJ Spotlight News, I'm Melissa Rose Cooper. In a surprise move, former Governor Chris Christie on Wednesday night dropped out of the 2024 presidential race, making the announcement at a town hall in New Hampshire filled with his campaign supporters just days before the first in the nation Iowa caucuses on January 15th. Christie's bid for the White House largely centered on stopping former President Donald Trump from reclaiming the seat, but he failed to gain real traction after entering the Republican primary. His stunning announcement got overshadowed a bit by a hot mic moment that went out over the live feed where Christie slammed rival Nikki Haley saying, quote, she's gonna get smoked. Matt Arco is a reporter for NJ Advance Media who's been on the campaign trail with Christie and joins me from New Hampshire. Matt, everyone's talking about this as an abrupt ending to the campaign because as you reported, not even 24 hours before this, Christie had said he wouldn't suspend his bid. So what happened? Look, I think the math finally caught up. When I was talking to folks after he, he announced that he was suspending his campaign, it was clear that this is something that they'd been talking about, kicking around for a few weeks, uh, this idea that, hey, do we really have a winnable path here? And that more recently, just over the weekend, their internal polling showed what the public polling showed, which was, it, you know, at best, he was probably going to have a third place finish in New Hampshire. 
and they did the math on what they were going to do after that, and it wasn't um, a bright picture, uh, given his high unfavorables in the Republican primary among the Republican electorate. Yeah, I mean, that same polling showed Nikki Haley edging upward. So does this now clear the path for her? Does it at least appear that way? It depends on which poll you want to look at. But there is, and part of the reason that he explained that he dropped out and that folks were talking about is that if he was in there, since they're running in the same lane, um, he would be drawing votes away from Nikki Haley, vice versa. So with him out, um, his campaign now says or, or would say or yesterday that they didn't want him to be a scapegoat uh, for Nikki Haley or Ron DeSantis. Uh, so pollsters here in New Hampshire say that, yeah, naturally, at least a portion of those uh, uh Christie supporters will go to Nikki Haley. Now, then, depending on which poll here you believe, is that enough to put her above Trump? Uh, one poll would say yes. Another poll would say no. So it's um, it's still a, a waiting game. All right. Got to ask you about this moment as the live stream had started, but Christie had not yet walked out on stage uh, and everyone heard it. It seemed as though uh, he was referring to, of course, Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley. What did he say and how does this change now the dynamic uh, around who he might endorse, if anyone? You know, I don't, on an endorsement, I didn't really get the sense that he didn't have a lot of nice things to say about Nikki Haley uh, just in the hours leading up to him him dropping out. Uh, but yes, I mean, if he was dropping out with a stated goal of not being a spoiler for Trump, to get caught on a hot mic saying that Nikki Haley doesn't have a chance and everyone knows it, um, and then this sort of Ron DeSantis, I assume he was going to say he was petrified, uh, calling him petrified. Maybe I thought that, maybe he thought that, it, it cut off then, but maybe he thought that Ron was worried that he was going to endorse Haley. So it sort of undercuts your um, your stated goal if you don't want to be a spoiler. Um, and then the, the immediate stories afterwards is what happened is that the hot mic where he's saying, uh, you know, this person that I'm essentially dropping out for uh, because everyone's telling, telling me I'm going to be a spoiler, I, I'm saying that she doesn't have a chance. So it wasn't, I'm sure um, there was a staffer that, that, that he wasn't pleased with after that. Yeah, I can imagine. So, um, all right, Christie also said that his voice isn't going anywhere. Obviously, he's been the most vocal critic of Trump. How so? How should we expect his voice to continue in this race that he's no longer a part of? Look, he's been up to this point a darling on TV. So I imagine that folks will still want to book him for interviews. Does he go back to ABC News as an analyst? Does he try to um, you know, pick up a show on uh, on a network. I mean, I, I have to imagine that he's, you know, licking his wounds at the moment. But, you know, the, the Chris Christie that we've known for all these years isn't going to shy away. And as the election really ramps up, I don't think he'll have much trouble getting booked on any any, you know, network. Um, it, he's been doing it for for months now. So I'm sure there will still be that added uh, appetite for him. <laughs> yeah. Twice tried. Choice didn't make it. Uh, Matt Arco is a reporter for NJ.com, NJ Advanced Media, who writes the newsletter, uh, What Makes Christie Run?, uh, which I guess we can answer now. Matt, thank you so much. Thanks, Brie. Day two of a series of public hearings where federal investigators are trying to gather details about the deadly fire that broke out last summer on a cargo ship carrying thousands of vehicles in Port Newark, killing two Newark firefighters as they battled the blaze. Today, a top officer of the Italian ship, Grande Costa Avorio, sobbed through questioning and testimony as he recalled the fatal events of that day and his crew's initial attempts 
to put out the flames. Ted Goldberg has the story. They stopped the firefighting operation to start the rescue operation. The chief firefighters report to me that two firefighters missing. Chief Mate Benito LaFauci fought through emotions as he remembered last year's deadly fire at Port Newark. Sorry, huh? but for me it's very hard. Very heavy black smoke. Also, we have a problem to breathe because also me, I was uh, without uh, fire protection. The second-in-command aboard the Grande Costa d'Avorio explained how he tried to stop the fire from spreading. We start to discharge the fire, the first fire extinguisher. When I discharge it, in the time the flame was going down. But when I retreat to take another fire extinguisher, or I'm waiting another fire extinguisher, the flame grown up again. LaFauci's words came after the general manager of Ports America explained the protocol behind dockside workers using old cars to push cargo aboard, which testimony yesterday confirmed was the cause of the fire. Last year's testified that the fire was started from a pusher jeep. George Taboda testified that he tried to warn the shipping company Grimaldi about these faulty pusher cars. We're having a concern on putting drivers on units that they're not in running condition. We don't know what kind of condition those, those units are, so we are trying to switch from pushing to towing, uh, using tow trucks instead of using vehicles to push other vehicles. Um, go ahead. Which they didn't like very much because the production drops. Taboda was also asked about what happens to pushers that need a break. If a unit is out of service, is there any particular place that you would expect to see that unit sitting? I believe I answered that before. It was by the mechanics area. Okay. And have you ever heard the phrase, uh, put it on the side or put on the side? Yes. Or as it relates to pusher vehicles? Uh, no. Lashers testified yesterday that the pusher Jeep in question was seen off to the side earlier in the day. Lawyers also asked about the relationship between Ports America and American Maritime Services, or AMS, which multiple witnesses say are responsible for maintenance and repairs for portside pusher vehicles. Mechanics at AMS, do you know their qualifications? No, I don't. Do you know if they are auto mechanics? I don't. You have no idea? No idea. Is there a contract that sets out what the duties and responsibilities are for AMS, what duties and responsibilities are for Ports America with respect to the repair of pusher vehicles? No, they're nowhere. Is there a safety policy in place at Ports America concerning the pusher vehicles? No. The debate over the safety of these pusher Jeeps will continue tomorrow when we'll hear from a representative from the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms, with three more hearings scheduled for next week. In Union, I'm Ted Goldberg, NJ Spotlight News.
After four homicides in one week, Atlantic City officials are pleading for the public's help in addressing the recent rise in violent crime, especially as Governor Murphy and other state leaders tout record decreases in shootings and gun violence in several major cities. In response, the city's police department says it'll step up presence in neighborhoods at risk. But as Raven Santana reports, the mayor and police union aren't on the same page about public safety. Instead of criticizing, join the fight. Atlantic City Mayor Marty Small called on the community to help prevent violence during a Facebook Live press conference. It was the first time Small addressed the recent rise in violence after there were four homicides in the first week of the new year. I'm the same person that can stand in front of that podium and others and talk about the violence is down. And I'm going to be the same person to address my city to let them know that four murders in a week is not being tolerated. In an effort to combat violence, Small has enlisted the city's anti-violence division and says law enforcement has been given all the resources they need to combat crime. And at the end of the day, it takes a collaborative approach. Everybody working together, not pointing the finger at one individual. His comments come after the city's police union president criticized the mayor for not hiring more police officers, saying, in light of these circumstances, I appeal for additional resources to bolster our law enforcement efforts. The need for increased personnel has never been more critical. We have grant funding for 30 additional officers and have 10 budgeted backfill positions that have not been utilized. The hiring of these positions needs to be expedited. There hasn't been a study presented based on population and visitors since I've been in, which is 19 months, to show me what the accurate number of police officers should be. So there are theories from everyone involved as to how many officers should Atlantic City have, how they should be deployed. Atlantic County Prosecutor William Reynolds highlights that there has been an overall decrease in homicides since 2012, despite this recent wave of crime in 2024. 2012, there was 19 homicides in the city of Atlantic City. In 2017, there was 13 homicides in the city of Atlantic City. Uh, last year, our first year in office, uh, we reduced the homicides to just seven. And then obviously there was four in the first week. And you're talking about trusted people, credible messengers. You're talking about people that live in the community that had different life experiences that most working people have. But the people that you're trying to stop crime from doing crime, we have the same experiences. So the relationship and being able to relate to them is on a whole totally different level. I spoke with two members of the One Neighborhood Evolution and anti-violence team in the city. They each explained the critical role communication, not just policing plays when it comes to reducing violence. You see something, know something, you don't want to get the, the police involved, contact us. We can help resolve it and then everybody's safe and then there's no thing about law enforcement because um, people don't feel comfortable sometimes if they find a gun in their bedroom who do they call do they call the police and get their son locked up or do they call us to help resolve it the outcry from the recent murders has been so strong that the group now expects more than 500 people to participate in saturday's peace walk that was originally scheduled before the violence happened we will be running transportation from the city of Atlantic City City Hall down to O'Donnell Park. We were originally looking at trying to reach about 200 people, 
right now I'm going to give a number out that I can see way past 200. I'm aiming at like 500 or more because that's how much it is traveling. Small stresses that not one thing or one anti-violence effort will ever stop all crime, which is why he says collaboration is key when it comes to preventing more violence and murders in the city. For NJ Spotlight News, I'm Raven Santana. In our Spotlight on Business report, there's a new proposal for rebuilding the state's nursing workforce in the aftermath of the pandemic, and it focuses on retaining those who are already in the job. The New Jersey Collaborating Center for Nursing wants the state to prioritize things like adequate staffing, bolstering the education system for nursing, and finding more opportunities for promotions and job growth. Why? Well, the organization crunched the numbers and confirmed just how badly demand is outpacing supply. Nationwide in 2022, the annual turnover rate for registered nurses was 22.5 percent. But in New Jersey, that number was 26 percent, and it was far worse for licensed practical nurses. For more on the report and this ongoing issue, I'm joined by Edna Cadmus. She's the executive director at NJCCN. Edna, welcome to the show. Uh, essentially, you all confirm uh, what we have been seeing over the last couple of years in terms of the decline in this industry. What specifically, if there's one item out of all of this, can the state do to really turn this around? I don't know that I could say that there is one item that they could do because, as you know, the healthcare system is very complex. So we really need to be thinking about one, how do we build in on recruitment? And right now we had uh, a bill which was just reintroduced um, that is looking to get $26.7 million to support uh, nursing education and some other key indicators within um, the nursing workforce. So um, certainly pipeline is important. We need more faculty. There's a shortage of faculty um, that we need to address. I also found it interesting that there was an emphasis on the approaches that nurses are using, sort of taking the onus off the individual and making it a resiliency of the workforce as a whole. Can you talk to me about that and why that matters when it comes to things like burnout, which we know is happening? Right, so we know that um, after the pandemic and during the pandemic, um, nurses were severely affected uh, emotionally from the stressors that they went on, underwent. Uh, one of the things that was supported in this last budget cycle was our New Jersey New, which is our emotional well-being um, focus. And that really has helped nurses in terms of sharing their stories and also providing stress first aid to them and peer-to-peer -peer support. But we know that organizations have a key role in ensuring that their staff are resilient and that they can help them uh, in overcoming some of the, the issues that they face. So one of the things um, that we've worked on is to help new graduate nurses transition into practice. We worked with 23 organizations across the state to ask them to help us in terms of providing a very standardized education for them and supports through preceptors and mentors over the first year of their practice to actually help them in transition. 
What else uh, are you all suggesting through this report that the state do to turn this deficit around? It's certainly expanding the nursing education system through investments. And that's, again, faculty, clinical sites, equipment, te technology. We're also talking about investing in retention, looking at career opportunities for nurses, helping new nurses transition into practice, um, and making sure that their environments are healthy. Uh, yesterday, we actually had a joint meeting with 86 staff nurses and first-line nurse managers across the state. And we've asked them to help us in terms of looking at how we can best uh, improve the work environment for them. And that was a collaborative between the um, New Jersey State Nurses Association, NJCCN, uh, the Healthcare Association of New Jersey, uh, the Nadana Group, um, the Home Care Association, and the New Jersey Organization of Nurse Leaders. We want to make sure we hear their voices because they know the best solutions. Uh, it's not going to come from us individually, but from the collective. That's a fair point. Uh, Edna Cadmus is the executive director of the New Jersey Collaborating Center for Nursing. Edna, thank you so much. Thank you. On Wall Street, stocks turned red after the December inflation report out today came in higher than expected, with consumer prices ticking up 0.3 percent for the month, slightly higher than where we landed in November. Here's how the markets closed. And tune in this weekend to NJ Business Beat with Raven Santana. She'll be assessing the health of New Jersey's housing market, including the outlook for home prices and mortgage rates and how buyers can prepare to navigate the difficult market. Watch it on the NJ Spotlight News YouTube channel Saturday at 10 a.m. That's going to do it for us tonight, but make sure you catch Reporters Roundtable with David Cruz tomorrow. David talks with Senator Dick Cody, who retired this year after over 50 years in New Jersey politics. Cody reflects on his career from senator to governor, then a panel of local reporters break down this week's political headlines. Watch Roundtable tomorrow at noon on the NJ Spotlight News YouTube channel. I'm Brianna Venosi for the entire NJ Spotlight News team. Thanks for being with us. Have a great evening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. NJM Insurance Group, serving the insurance needs of residents and businesses for more than 100 years. And by the PSCG Foundation.